Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. America Meditating Radio Show Tuning to love as we
everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Jenna. That was Kristen Hoffman. And thank you as well, Kristen, for the lovely shout-out and morning jingle for the America Meditating Radio. Over a thousand episodes in 90 countries, it's been a wonderful journey, and I'm sure it'll be even a better one as we continue throughout the years. The work that I do in the nation's capital, for some of you who don't know, I also direct a nonprofit organization called the Brahma Kumaris, and we are approaching our 20th year in service in the nation's capital. So if you happen to be in the nation's capital around 4th of July weekend, please come and join us. We will be at the MGM Grand Ballroom Sunday, July 2nd from 3.30 to 6 p.m. And the conversation will be on awakening to love and forgiveness. We'll have award-winning journalist Roberta Baskin, clean comedian Dan Nainan. We'll have the ballet performance from Abigail School, Abigail Francisco, sorry, School of Classical Ballet, Sister Shivani from India, myself, Sister Gita, and lots of voices about the journey, but also how can we be awakened and stay awakened. So just go to meditationmuseum.org website to reserve your seat. It's almost full. And I was telling Antonia, producer, I don't know where I'm going to put all my friends because the public has already taken up all the seats. But anyway, um, please do think about putting that on your calendar for Sunday. Today, we're going to be having a mindful conversation with psychotherapist Nancy Collier. And we're looking forward to talking to her a little bit about technology and other aspects of things. But before I go to Nancy, we will do what we do best here on the air, and that is to take a moment to be centered, clear, and focused. Here's Productive from my Off to Work Meditation CD. Take a deep breath. Each day... I wish for the days to be productive. So today, it will be productive because it is productive. With the practice of meditation and me taking moments every hour to calm myself and improve my ability to concentrate on what's important, This allows me to be more productive instead of working frantically to get things done. Today, I focus and today, I produce. Welcome back. If you're like me, I find um, if I'm not having a moment of realization or if I don't think I've given love and respect and kindness to another or even shared my story that emote some kind of a realization in the heart of another, I felt like my day was wasted. (laughs) And I'm really a production, one of those junkies that you have to really get things done, not just sit and not do anything, but do things, make things happen, move energy. Let's just keep living 
you know, just living. I'm very happy to welcome our next guest, Nancy Collier. Have you ever caught yourself checking your smartphone while you're being while you're behind the wheel, even though you know it's dangerous? Okay, come on, be honest. And does your text alert chime make you interrupt a conversation with a person sitting right in front of you? Our guest today, Nancy Collier, says that the compulsion to constantly check our devices plays on primal instincts and even lifelong meditators and people who've never suffered from addiction issues now find themselves caught in the subtle trap of these miraculous tools we've created. Nancy is a psychotherapist, interfaith minister, author, and veteran meditator. She's also the author of Inviting a Monkey to Tea, Discovering Lasting Contentment, and her newest book, The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. Nancy is also a regular contributor to Psychology Today and the Huffington Post. Today, we're glad to have Nancy on the air. Hi, Nancy. Hello. Great to be here. I'm one of those. I cannot believe it. There was a time, do you remember the big Motorola phones that looked like a brick? And I remember when we used to hold those bricks at our ears thinking it was so fancy. And I remembered, I just remembered so well, watching even (laughs) folks who used to just walk and talk. And I went, oh, God, that is just so not healthy. And then even when, and guess what? I'm guilty now. I will walk, I'll be in a meeting, I'll be talking, and it's there. And I, I feel like... I mean, as much as I know that there's benefit to all of this, I'm also very concerned about the energy it pulls from the soul. Be always so externalized and so engaged. Can you share a little bit about, you know, like you've admitted that you've been addicted to technology. And um, what were some of the stages that you found yourself going through? Kind of balance that out. Sure. Yes, I part of the reason I wrote the book is because I was becoming aware of my own problem with it. I walked by my own kids one evening after coming back from work, just with a perfunctory hello, and raced, raced my computer like a drug addict. And at that moment, I saw them look at me like, what's happened to her? And I was going in bathroom stalls and checking my phone. And it wasn't even like I, you know, I wasn't expecting anything from the president. I wasn't, uh, there was nothing coming in particularly important. But I started to notice that an old feeling was starting to return um, in the sense, and it speaks to what you're saying about external, in that probably the first maybe 30 years of my life or so, whenever I was confronted with open time or unscheduled, just spaciousness, I would really have a kind of panicky response. Like I had to be productive. I had to get something done in it. It was emptiness, not space. And silence similarly was the absence of sound. And so I became a kind of super producer, you know, super everything, did everything type A and, and accomplished a tremendous amount, learned a lot. And, but, but I could feel that I was always trying to outrun something. I was always just kind of had to fill in the space. And then I started discovering mindfulness and started sitting down and really trying to meditate and face You know, if I stop kicking the wheel, what's here? Because I can't keep producing at this level. And Mm -hmm. really found a a very different way, living, of of welcoming the silence and, of course, still producing and still being 
being um, an active learner and so on, but not needing to to um, avoid the terror. And what I noticed when I started having devices and so on is I started to get that feeling back again, that awful feeling of, oh my God, there's something in my device that could be better. There's a, there's a better moment. I've got to get to there. This moment's not enough. This is empty. Mm-hmm. This is nothing. And I was very, very quick, thankfully, because I have a, you know, been practicing awareness for a long time to catch that and, and say, okay, so I really need to look at my relationship with my devices because the present moment, it's again, beginning to feel like I have an adversarial relationship with the present moment. I like what you were saying where you felt like you keep running after trying to fulfill something that you think is missing or it's like you're chasing after yourself or you're competing with yourself or or your whole internal world has become similar to the smartphone that everything is so fast that if you feel you're not physically moving fast enough, you're insignificant. I just got back from India in March, and um, I think I've consciously been calling for this. I'm an overachiever like you are, and I'm a type A, and that's just Mm -hmm. written in my DNA. And the whole thing is, well, what is normal? What is a normal, balanced way of being now? I mean, you can either go too much in or too much out, you know, how do you know that you've been able to balance technology with just the well-being of your spirit? Well, a lot of this, it's interesting because, you know, I've been talking on the book for maybe four months now, and people are always asking me, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do to fix this? You know, what do I do? What's the?" And what I am continually talking about is one of the, the downsides of technology is that it's training us to lose agency in our own lives, to say, well, what's the answer? You know, right now, if we want an answer, we just have to Google it. We just Google it or we want a boyfriend, we swipe right, we want, you know, a package, Amazon has it here in the morning. Everything is available externally. And we've forgotten in a certain sense that we can know things from our own experience, that we can consult our own wisdom, that we can take agency, we can we can make decisions in our own lives based on what works for us. So it's it's not a message that people at first really want to hear, which is you have to, as a friend of mine puts it, you have to grow up and wake up and Ask yourself the questions, how is this working for me? How is it? Mm -hmm. Am I feeling agitated at the end of the day? How am I experiencing, is this a good life? Is this the kind of life that, you know, if this were my last day, is Facebooking and Instagramming and Snapchatting, is that how I would want to spend that day? We have to start asking ourselves the questions that are important. Is my heart being fed in this life? Is my spirit being fed? Because part of what's happening right now is that the technology is like crack cocaine for the mind. Technology Mm -hmm. feeds the mind. It amps it up. And that's great. It's wonderful to have a mind. There's nothing wrong with a mind is, you know, what gets us around. But what the cost of that is that we're becoming incredibly disembodied. We're becoming incredibly disconnected from our heart life our soul life. And what I'm seeing in my office all the time is a kind of crisis in meaning so that people are feeling, is this, is this life? This is sort of, this is the whole thing? A sense of, you know, where's 
the meaning in all of this. And unfortunately, you know, where they're going to fill that meaning is uh, the iPhone 8 or, you know, the next pair of sneakers. Where we're going to look is in the wrong places. But as, as technology is amping up the mind, it's also giving a lot of um, it's putting the mind very much in the throne of who we are. We are already mind-centered. That's who we think we are. We're just a bundle of thoughts, and we narrate our life, and, you know, it all comes through the mind. But we're losing touch with, you know, what really makes us feel well. And it's just very interesting because we've changed so, so, so much because of technology. Everything we do in a day is kind of different. But what we need as human beings, as team human, hasn't really changed at all. We need connection. We need to be engaged and thinking in our lives. We need a sense of gratitude. We need joy. We need to feel like we're part of something larger. These, what we call pillars of well-being, haven't changed. But we're mm. looking for them, you know, in our app, and we can't really find them there. Right. I agree with you. Well, you know, your new book, The Power of Off, I think, is quite timely. And I think there's a term that you've also used called T-wired. And Mm -hmm. I'd love if you could maybe extrapolate a little bit on what it means to be T-wired. I guess it's just technology-wired. Well, actually, it means twired, which is a combination. That was one of the reasons I wrote the book is I was seeing... In my office, people were coming in in this state of what I termed twired, simultaneously tired and wired. So we're simultaneously utterly exhausted from being on all the time, from Uber availability, from the nonstop information, entertainment data coming in. We're exhausted, but we're also incredibly incredibly amped up and agitated and wired and, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next? And so it's a funny combination. People are desperately craving silence. They're craving downtime. You know, that's why these travel industries have popped up where you pay a hundred grand to get off the grid, you know, to go to a place where there's nothing because we're dying for silence. We're dying for to stop, you know, being available all the time. But at the same time, this sort of constant agitation of what am I missing? What am I missing? And what, what might be coming in in one moment? What, what's coming in on my, what's the next notification? We're kind of living in a state of fight or flight and our nervous systems are really racked. Because we're not, even even our devices get turned off. We, we do. We, we know we have to reboot our devices, but our nervous systems are not getting rebooted. 50% of people now, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they check their email. I think it's now 80% of people start their day with their smartphone, which means from the moment you wake up, you're responding, your day is framed around what's coming in on the device. You're just in a kind of reactive pattern all day to what's happening on the device. So our nervous systems actually need time to float, need time to turn down the noise. To say nothing of that's when real creativity and brilliance happens is when we stop counterintuitively. You know, right now we're living in a culture where if we're not doing something with every moment, if it doesn't have right. a purpose, and again, this is this is part of the mind's 
what the mind is up to, which is what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? We need time to not be doing, to, right, to recover. Right. I know that. I know that. I like the part about just shutting down. Thoughts, what would it be like if the if many of us, let's say 80% of the world that's um, engaged in technology would go a week without technology? What do you think would be the reframing of people's behavior and attitude and space inside? I think it would be an incredible, uh, incredibly positive movement for humanity. And I am by no means saying that technology is a bad thing because Mm -hmm. it's incredible. I mean, that's part of what makes it complicated because we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. In that way, in terms of addictions, it's a bit more like an eating disorder than it is an alcohol problem because we do have to learn to find freedom in technology, not from it. So I would say a week detox where we're all off, you know what would happen? Probably we would come back to looking in each other's eyes. We would come back to having real conversations. We would come back to being in the present moment. We would come back to spending time with ourselves. You know, this is one of the great tragedies to me right now. Even in little things, you can see it. If, for example, what's a good example? If we're walking on the street and we see a woman with a stroller, and I witnessed this recently with a friend, that's why it occurs to me, and we opened the door for the woman, and it was just one of those moments on a New York City street that felt, oh, you know, we're all connected. Just take a moment and open a door. She was struggling. And maybe before technology or if we were off technology, we might take a few moments, walk to the end of the block, just owning that experience, just feeling what that felt like to have that connection, never maybe tell a soul what what just happened, but, but own that and experience that right now. So what happens is we get right on social media, ah, you know, hashtag gratitude, you know, kicking it with kindness. We narrate the event to our peeps, right, to our followers, and before we've even processed it, and we determine what it's to mean by the feedback that comes in from the external world. So what we get is a kind of vacuumed out experience of our own lives. We haven't owned that experience. We haven't even gotten to feel it. So I would say if we were off for a week, we would come back to directly experiencing our lives. And and that has a value that it's very hard to language, but it's a profound value. Right now, you know, we go to the museum we're not really looking at the photos. We're looking for a good place to take a selfie of ourselves at the museum to announce that, hey, check me out. You know, I'm, I'm a cultural person. I go to museums, right? So the, the, we're using life, you could say, to build our brand. We're using life to create an identity at the cost of actually experiencing that life. And if we're not doing that, we are capturing it constantly, constantly photographing, photographing, getting it into our iPhoto file, getting it into our... And again, it's kind of denying the ephemeral nature of experience that it does come and go. And the best we have is to be in it when it's happening, right? Don't, you know, what we're doing is we're trying to get it and own it and possess it so we can show later, look, look, I have a life. The cost, again, is getting to live it while we're in it. 
And so I would say if we could be off of it, we might taste things a little bit more. We might feel things a little bit more. We might feel a little bit more connected and part of our lives. Well, I believe in that, and I think that perhaps maybe a situation will be emerging to help us to move that way. You know, like when someone is addicted to something, you can put them in rehabilitation, but they come back out and they're surrounded by the same sort of atmosphere before they went in, and so they go back on the drug. And so I think that because technology is so easy accessible, that even if we do take two or three days off, we come right back into the drug. So it's still just a pause, but it's not a cure. Right, and that's what I work with people on, which is, yes, I mean, it's fascinating. You see people, as I said, go to these adult camps or, you know, where you're just, it's simple, you're you're roasting marshmallows, there's no tech, and they come back and they talk about, oh, my God, I feel so back into my life, back into my center. I feel like I could really get to know people. I feel so good. Yeah, two or three days in, they're back 24-7 on the app. So you see in the limbic system, it's built in. We are addicted to pleasure. And this tech releases dopamine into the reward center in our brain And it behaves just like any other addiction does. It's a very, very powerful one, though, because as you're saying, in other addictions, for one thing, the addiction puts you outside the club. It it, it separates you from society. Mm -hmm. The addiction to technology makes you an insider right away. So you're talking about what everybody's talking about. And secondly, in this addiction, we've all drunk the Kool-Aid. So we're all we're all in. Mm-hmm. So it's a yeah. very, very tricky addiction to break, but it has all the markers of addiction, just like any other addiction in terms of, you know, knowing that it's doing negative things to our sleep, to our relationships, to all of these things, and continuing to use the withdrawal symptoms when we cannot use the sense of shame. It has every single one of, and, and that we essentially want to cut down, but we cannot. So what I'm suggesting to people, and and it seems to be our best hope, is every time you notice that addictive pull, that sort of impulsive, oh, you know, I'm waiting in a line. I could avoid myself. I could could just get on. I could check Facebook. I could do whatever I'm going to do. In that moment, we always have a choice to wake up or to go to sleep. So we can use that Mm. impulse, that sort of limbic system, the reptilian brain saying, oh, you know, I could get a little pleasure here, to say, okay, what, what would I have to feel if I didn't use right now? You know, what's here that I'm trying to get away from? Is it really necessary that I use right now? We can use the sort of more primitive aspect of ourselves to be more contemplative, and ask the question, do I really want to do this with this moment? Is this how I want to use this moment? So we turn it into a moment of awareness, right? And we do that. What's what's really exciting is that people say, oh, the the horse is out of the barn, It's, it's too late, and so on. But every moment, we have an opportunity to work with our own addictive nature, our own sort of impulse pleasure, to open Mm -hmm. that, the iPad, and feel that, you know, ooh, that little bit of delight (laughs) that the dopamine delivers. And we all know it, right? Ooh, I could spend an hour shopping for shoes online right now. The ultimate way 
to avoid ourselves, to avoid anything uncomfortable that we're feeling. Once we, you know, have agency in our lives and decide, okay, I want to look at this as any other addiction, then then we have multiple opportunities throughout the day to make mindful choices, more evolved choices. Mm, makes sense. Nancy Collier, thank you so much. I think you have um, helped many of us to power off, to power on in a completely different way. Could you let our listeners know all the stuff that Nancy has shared with us, everyone? It's in her book. So she's about to give us her website and information as to how we can get a copy of Power Off. Nancy? Sure. The uh, The book is available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold, The Power of Off. And in it, you know, there's a lot of conversation about how we're changing as human beings. And there's also a 30-day detox in the back that will take you through at least a detox, which gets you ready then to how to live with technology once you're back in and lots of contemplative exercises. My website is nancycollier.com and it's with one L. C-O-L-I-E-R. And um, I'm also, I also do individual work with people, not just around um, technology addiction, but anything related. So nancycollier.com. Thank you, Nancy. All the very best. My pleasure. And, um, thank you. It was really rich. Yeah, it's lovely to be here. Mm-hmm. All the best. I believe that Nancy spoke to many of us today. Um, it's an addiction. It is a crisis, but it's also a part of helping us to be more open, be more friendly, be more caring. I think that I look at people on the road sometimes and I see how they smile when they're texting someone or talking to somebody on the phone or, you know, so there are some pros and cons. I think the real art here is the art of balance. How much do I give out? How much do I take in. So I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Nancy Collier. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we are here to love each other the same. Here is Emery Franklin, that we are one. Take care, everyone.